I don't know, can you get a better lead in than uh, give a little bit, let's work together. <laughs> it's kind of perfect. <laughs> This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the work of the church. Have you heard that around here? This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the work of the church. I think it might very well be the first universalist mantra. I've heard it over and over. I've seen it written different places since I arrived here a little over a year and a half ago. I've seen it as the tagline on emails when we're calling for volunteers, whether it's for ushering at a memorial service or volunteering at a community project. I've heard it said when the site supervisors at Habitat for Humanity report back to us that our crews are the ones that are willing to go anywhere and do anything, that we often accomplish more in a day than other crews do in two. I've heard these words said when we raised not the hoped-for $60,000 to build a house with a family, but instead we raised the unbelievable $115,000 last December. I've heard these words said when we're putting up decorations in the social hall for a church-wide party or for a giant wedding. I've heard it said after we've sat with one another, suffering the pains of chemotherapy or weathering the decline of dementia. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the work of the church. These are the words that I hear you saying to one another. These words come often when you are exhausted at the end of a long day's work and you're looking back, satisfied to know that you are a part of something larger than yourself, content because you know that you are a part of something part of a stream that is bigger than any one of us that flows towards love and justice and hope. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the work of the church. With these words, we remind ourselves of who we are. We set the expectation of who we're going to be together, and we draw one another out, too, asking each other to do and be more than we ever could on our own. With these words, with our actions, we embody the words of the prophet Khalil Gibran who wrote, work is love made visible. And here's the thing, it's not just our love that is being made visible, it is the love of the generations, it's the love of our heritage, the love of every single person who came before us and hitched their wagon to this church community. It's the love of hundreds of thousands of people who came and received comfort and inspiration here, who gave of their time and talent and treasure to make sure that the doors here would be open for me and for you and folks we will never, ever know. The great African-American writer and teacher and minister, the Reverend Dr. Howard Thurman, once shared an encounter that he had, and he said this, Many years ago, I was on a walk through the woods, and I came across an old man planting some trees. I watched him for a long time, Thurman says. He was so busily engaged in the task that he didn't notice my approach until he heard my voice. 
Then he raised himself erect with all the slow dignity of a man who had exhausted the cup of haste to its very dregs. He was an old man, as I discovered before our conversation was over a full 81 years. Further talk between us revealed that he was planting a small grove of pecan trees. The little treelets were not more than two and a half or three feet in height. My curiosity was unbounded, Thurman said. Why did you not select larger trees so, to as, so as to increase the possibility of your living to see them bear at least one cup of nuts, he asked. The old man fixed his eyes directly on my face, Thurman says, with no particular point of focus, but with a gaze that took in the totality of my features. And finally, he said, these small trees are cheaper and I have very little money. So you do not expect to live to see the trees reach sufficient maturity to bear fruit? No, but is that important? All my life I have eaten fruit from trees I did not plant. Why should I not plant trees to bear fruit for those who may enjoy them long after I am gone? Besides, the one who plants to reap the harvest has no faith in life. All my life, I have eaten from trees I did not plant. Isn't it true? All my life, I have eaten from trees I did not plant. All of our lives, we have been the beneficiaries of gifts, of fruit, of basic sustenance that we did not cause to come into being. So many gifts that make up our lives came to us unasked for, sometimes unearned, often without us even knowing they were what we needed. Why should I not plant trees to bear fruit for those who may enjoy them long after I am gone? Why should not I, why should not we give out of gratitude for all that has been so freely given to us? When I think of this, I remember the stories I've heard about the Reverend Don Wheat, who I'm told summed up his 30-year ministry career in Unitarian Universalism in one sentence. He said, the religious person is the grateful person, and the grateful person is the generous person. The religious person is the grateful person, and the grateful person is the generous person. Planting for the ages. Planting for the ages is what Howard Thurman called it. Planting for the ages is about gratitude and generosity, and it is also a way that we express, that we embody our faith in life. When we give, knowing that we will not see the full harvest, we are putting our faith in life. This is why we so often talk about the spiritual practice of generosity here at church. It's not just because we, like every institution or individual, needs a certain amount of money to survive and thrive. We talk about generosity as a spiritual practice because when we give, when we don't just talk about it and think about it, but when we actually do it, when we give of our time and talent and treasure of our money, we find that we are releasing our grip. We are opening our hands and our hearts change. We embody our faith. Our love becomes visible in the world. 
the religious person is the grateful person, and the grateful person is the generous person. How we give of our money, of our monetary resources, it is one of the ways that we embody our faith. I dare to say it is a central way that we embody our faith. And this is where I want to put out one of those warnings, one of those important warnings to those of you who are new or visiting. This is, if you haven't caught on yet, this is the closing sermon of our annual pledge drive. And this is a time when I will be asking many of you for money. That's part of what's happening. It's money to keep the lights on and the doors open, money to fund our collective dreams of racial justice and fair pay for all of our staff. So if you are new or visiting, if you are still discerning whether or not this is your church home, or if this is a time when you are struggling just to keep the lights on or the roof over your head, listen just for the spiritual part of the message today. And then the rest of you, church members and friends who might be in a different place, I want you to listen not just for the spiritual, but for the practical get-out-your-pen message, too. So that's the warning. So let me go back a little bit, go back a few weeks ago to the time when the Reverend Vale Weller was here with us. Some of you were here, too. And she shared with us that, statistically speaking, Unitarian Universalists are consistently one of the highest-earning religious groups. And yet, we are also the least generous when it comes to giving to our churches. If we believe that the religious person is the grateful person and the grateful person is the generous person, if we believe that how we give of our monetary resources is one of the ways we embody our faith, then those facts that she put before us, they tell me that we have a pretty grim track record when it comes to generosity to our churches. Now, I've thought a lot about this, and I think one of the reasons that we as a group give more sparingly to our congregations than other folks do is that we as individuals tend to give to a lot of different causes. We give to Minnesota Public Radio, we give to theater and arts, we give to our PTAs, and to a whole lot of other places and causes that we care about. But I also think that we shy away from giving generously to our churches because to do so means really committing. It means going all in, as Justin said, when he launched our annual pledge drive a few weeks ago. Giving generously to our church means admitting to ourselves. It means proclaiming, perhaps even to the world, how important this faith community is to our lives and to our world. It means taking a risk. It means making some changes so that we might give in new ways. So how do we do this? How do we become, if we aren't already, how do we become the most generous people we can be, the people we long to be in the world? I'll tell you one thing that has been working for me so far. Several years ago now, the church that I had been attending asked us all to do something radical. It asked us to consider tithing. Tithing. Anybody heard that word? It was one that I'd heard back in my biblical history class, but honestly, I didn't think the concept applied to me or to these modern times. The idea of tithing, of taking 10% of my income and giving it away, it sounded crazy to me. But there was my minister, a Unitarian Universalist minister, no less, and there she was asking all of us, asking me in particular, to tithe. 
I know you give to all kinds of causes that make a difference in the world, she said, but so you don't have to give it all to the church. I'll give you a 50% discount. Give 5% to the church and 5% to all the other causes that you care about. She said, it's a deal. Join me. There was about that level of chuckle when she did that. It's like, oh, that does not help. <laughs> but it was with a deep breath and a little bit of fear, I'll admit, that my wife Loretta and I tried it. We decided that we would make the church the primary recipient of all of our charitable giving, and we pledged 5% of our income. Sure, there are lots of organizations doing good work in the community and in the nation and in the world that we want to support, but we are one family. We can't do all of it. We're not millionaires. We're working people, a working family with childcare bills to pay, with student loans that we're still thinking a lot about, let alone <laughs> planning ahead for continuing education for the kids or for retirement for us. We tra try to travel at least once a year to see my family on the East Coast. There are a whole lot of pulls on our finances. And yet we want, more than anything, to be generous. We want to live with our hearts wide open, planting trees we will never see come to harvest. We want to be changed so that when we sit down each month and we see the money flowing out of our checking account, there's at least one bill, one payment that we are so grateful is going out to see this as a blessing and not a curse. We want to be deeply generous with our time and talent and treasure so that we can be a part of the world we are dreaming of. We want to be generous because it changes our hearts and because it matters in the world. So we made a decision to try this out. And instead of giving $25 here or $50 there, we decided to put all our eggs in one basket, the basket of the church. And as we've done it, I've come to see that it really is most of the things I care about anyway. After all, the church cares for children and elders and people in crisis. After all, the church offers beauty of the music and the arts. It serves the community by venturing into corners of the city and into hearts that are often forgotten. It's the church that challenges me and all of us challenges us in love to grow and change and embody the vision of racial justice we long for. It's here that we encourage one another to spiritual growth, here that we tend the flame of our ancestors and we hold the circle wide. It's here that we remember we are a church community founded in the idea that the experience of unconditional love is the primary tool for spiritual growth. Now, Loretta and I haven't yet made it all the way to giving away 10% of our income, but it's there as a goal, and each year we get a little bit closer. When we sit down to make our pledge to the church to make that decision each year, right next to the fears that come, to the clutching, no, we couldn't possibly stretch, something else comes in now, too. I hear the words, and I remember the example of the people who have come before me, of the people who are here now, who serve as spiritual role models to me. I remember in those moments when we're filling out the card, I remember that I have eaten my whole life from trees I did not plant. I remember that I am a person who has something to give in the world. I remember that I am intimately connected to everyone 
everyone and everything, and I have a part to play. And this, I think, this is one of the best reasons for us to give generously. We give generously because it helps us to remember the truth about who we are. We are people who have received abundantly from life. We are people who have eaten all our lives from trees we did not plant. We are people whose presence matters in the world. We are people who have much to give. So I ask you, will you join me? Will you join me in trying something new for some of you of putting all your eggs or many of them in the basket of this church? Will you make the church the primary recipient of your financial generosity? Will you challenge yourselves, if you're able, to give an ever-growing percentage of your income here to this congregation that we might all remember who we really are? We are grateful, generous, spiritual people who eat from trees we did not plant, who plant trees for people we will never know and for times we will never see. Who knows what we can create together? The future is still unfolding, the vision still blossoming. Our hopes and our dreams, our vision is represented by this web of connection that is in front of us this morning. This web literally holds your hopes and dreams. It's full of the words that you have added over the past few weeks, words that share about why you give, about what you give for. This morning, two of our youth will add another strand to this web, this web that can never be completed. They will add their strands of hope and possibility that will guide us one more step along the way. So Solvay and Sophia, would you come forward and add your hopes and dreams to this web? And while they do so, I ask you to take out your order of service. You'll see at the end of the sermon, there's a little responsive reading. We're going to read this together. I'll begin. I ask you to respond with the words that are printed in italics. It helps now and then to step back and take a long view. This is what we are about. We water seeds already planted, knowing that they hold future promise. But that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. Ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future, not our own. All of these hopes are embodied here. All of these hopes and dreams. And so today we're going to do something a little bit different with our offering. Today as we live out our mission, which clearly states that in the universalist spirit of love and hope, we give and receive and grow. As you take a moment to fill out your pledge cards, if you haven't done so already, we want you to receive a gift from us. So in just a moment, the ushers will come forward to pass the baskets, and today, instead of putting something in, we invite you to take something out. For each individual or family, there's a pack of seeds in there for you. 
So I invite you to take one. And once you can find the dirt again, once you can actually get into the soil, I want you to plant these seeds, knowing that this is what we are about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is the work of the church. Will the ushers please come forward?